we're going to open up with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for our home and our work and our friends. <laughs> the morning calls us to the joy and toil and trial of a new day, and we want to begin it right in the sense of Thy nearness and care. Give us strength to meet the coming common duties of the day and to live with our kindred and friends happily and healthfully. In our school life, in our homemaking, and in our business, may we be guided by the purposes of Jesus. If it be thy good, will keep us from great temptation to do wrong and furnish us with strength for the trials which thou willest us to endure. May thy healing and comfort abide with those we love who are in sorrow and sickness. Make them brave and hopeful. We pray thee to prosper us in our work in order that we may use all our gains for the good of others. May our home and family be the abiding place of him who promised to be in the midst of those who love him. May our home and family be the abiding place of him who promised to be in the midst of those who love him. Now, Father, I ask you to continue to show me the things you want me to see. So when I speak, Master, it would be only those things you want me to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. And I have to read uh, the, the devotional. Um, all of this fits in with today's message and the scriptures that we're using. The prayer I just prayed and then um, leadership responsibility that actually began on yesterday. So I'm going to read both of them. Okay. And, um, and, and so Tuesday, which was yesterday, says Satan incited David to take a census of Israel. Leadership responsibility one. Fresh from a major victory over the Philistines, King David made a major mistake instead of trusting God for his next battle. That is such a key phrase, okay? He conducted a census designed to measure his military power and determine his chances of winning as if he won that first battle on, on, those, on those strengths. <laughs> as a result, 70,000 Israelites perished. This story teaches us three very important lessons about uh, leadership responsibility. One, as a leader, you're Satan's special target. Amen. <laughs> he knows that in order to get it to others, he must go through you. So he will use every strategy he has to bring you down. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census. The average board of doctors would probably have considered it a good idea, but God saw it as an act of arrogance and unbelief. Second, don't be presumptuous. Don't let your last victory make you overconfident about your next battle because they're all different, number one. There will never be a time when you don't need God. The fact that God had, had just granted David a great victory should have made him more, not less, dependent on God. Paul wrote, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent. Third, listen to wise counsel. Joab, one of David's general, warned him he was making a grave mistake. The king's words, however, overruled Joab. You may have great gifts, but you don't have all the gifts. 
<laughs> where you have blind spots, others often have 20-20 vision. That's why it's called a body. So we can depend on and lean on each other and not think one person got it. Okay. In the multitude of counselors, which is one of my favorite scriptures, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So listen to the people God put in your life to guide and protect you. Now, part two is today. Our competence comes from God. He has made us competent. Um, David was on a roll. He kept winning battle after battle. He had the Midas touch. Everything he touched turned to gold. But success can go to your head. And David wasn't exempt. He started wondering just how strong are we? At that point, he conducted a census and discovered he had 1,100,000 fighting men that could, that could tempt any of us to think with an army this size and given our track record of success, who needs to pray for God's help or ask him for a plan? That was the, the point at which God stepped in and judged David and 70,000 Israelites died needlessly because of pride and arrogance. So here's another aspect of leadership you need to be aware of. Your mistakes have the potential to hurt others. You are not just accountable to those who are over you. You're responsible for those who are under you. After all, if your good decisions have the ability to bless and guide people, your bad decisions have the potential to harm them. David said to God, was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? The shepherd, I the shepherd have sinned and done wrong. Let your hand fall on me and my family, but do not let this plague remain on, on your people. So he was begging on behalf of the people because he knew his sin was the reason why things were happening to them. Okay. He says, uh, so you need God's guidance for your own sake the sake of the people around you and to give you the grace to accept responsibility when you fail. Don't try to hide your failures. Blame others or run from God. Acknowledge them. You have to, oh God. That, so all of this is in today's message. Grow through them. Grow through them and go on to become wiser because that's how wisdom uh, it's produced because we grow from the era. That's the whole, whole point of it coming up. It's not coming up to destroy you. And if you can't be told anything, you have stunt your own growth because you got it all. All right. We're in Titus and um, we're in Titus 1. And this is part two where we continue where we left off. I heard this quote this week, and I had to write it down because I thought, this is, this is so good. And it says, if you is what you were, what you was, if you is what you was, then you ain't. <laughs> if you is what you was, then you ain't. See, all this is fitting in because if you ain't growing and you are still who you used to be, B.C., then you ain't with Christ. <laughs> but 
because all things pass away and all things become new in Christ. Amen. Okay, so uh, part two of qualifications, the qualifications for leaders. And uh, we're going to pick up uh, chapter one, beginning with verse 10 through 16. And then we're going to prayerfully get to chapter two. I have the notes <laughs> and, and begin with the first few verses of that. So we're going to start with verse, verse 10. And, and uh, this is Paul who is speaking to Titus. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So he's saying there are many insubordinate. That's that unruly, insubordinate, and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake, for dishonest gain. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Christians are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies, lazy gluttons. Isn't that something to label that, and especially with fellow believers? So even if they exude those characteristics, the fact that you as a believer, that there's power in the tongue, have declared this, causes it to be enhanced. You give Satan power. And the change won't come. He says, um, the witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Not giving heed to Jewish faith fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth unto the pure all things are pure but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is enough is nothing pure to them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure but even their mind and conscience is defiled they profess that they know God but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to read two until we get to that part. Okay, so uh, going back to uh, verses 10 through 11, I'll read them again and, and give you my notes. But there are many unruly or uh, subordinate, insubordinate, vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouth must be stopped who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake, for dishonest gain. The circumcisions that Paul were, were talking about were the Jews who were trying to impose their teachings of Moses, which was the law, and of the circumcision was necessary for salvation on the Christians of the Crete. Now, why is that such a big deal? Because the law was of Moses' days, okay? And the circumcision was the way of the Jews recognizing their covenant relationship with the Father. But now Jesus is on the scene, so you're no longer under the law, but you're under grace and, 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 and mercy, okay? And so um, as a result of teaching, those kinds of teaching, people felt like they need to be doing things in order to show their, that they were saved, okay? 
uh, which means some people will automatically be left out based on works. Okay? So um, they were keeping them in bondage and taking them backwards rather than bringing them to the present time that they were living in so that they will come into the full understanding of who they are in Jesus Christ. That philosophy and doctrine negates grace and love and, 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 and says salvation is by works. So it also then negates that Jesus' blood and the cross has removed those burdens and, and now anyone who believe on and in him would be saved. So think about it. They're in an Asian part of the country teaching Gentiles about salvation, supposedly, but then they put all of these rules and these false doctrines on them that, that actually prevent them from being who, what God has provided for them by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, which is something that we must, must focus on. And I am appalled when people are negating that or wondering, why are you always talking about that? It is the gospel of salvation. And if you don't understand that and have the fundamentals of that, how can you grow into greater revelation concerning his word? You got to have the basic foundation in order to grow. You can't grow on no foundation or a shaky foundation. Amen. And so uh, our newness in Christ produces obedience and faith to love him so much that you don't have to be governed by a law. You will obey the laws of the land and respect those who are in authority regardless of what you think or feel because you are not moved by your own understanding or will, but you are moved by the law of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so when, when we understand that our salvation is on those premises, then I love God because he loved me so much that he made a grave sacrifice for me. And all I want to do is learn and grow and understand that love so I can receive it and, 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 and wear it. And when I do, then the things that he put here to govern to govern us and to keep us straight and narrow, I will follow it because of my love for him. Not because of the, of the fear of the consequences that are going to happen as a result of me not obeying the law. I'm not moved by judgment. I'm moved by the love of Jesus Christ. All right? So, um, our, our, our love for him and, and our newness in him, let me put it this way, our newness in him after salvation, we are new creation. The old is supposed to be gone. You don't operate how you used to operate. You don't think how you used to think if you have been born again in the blood of Jesus Christ. So all that you've learned and acquired then that fit the world system, you're not supposed to be flowing in that. You're supposed to be in a newness, and then that newness in Christ produces my obedience and faith to love him, to obey and respect the, those he has put in authority over us. 
<laughs> regardless of what we think or feel. Why? Because my trust in God and in prayer can correct any error. You see, the body of Christ got to get into position to do the most main important thing that God called us to do, and that is to pray. We do everything else but that. We put everything else above prayer. You don't have time. You can't get up. It's the wrong day. When this is what governs us, this is what sets us in place, in position. This is what empowers us. Prayer empowers us. It changes us. It lifts us up. It does far more, but we don't reap the benefits because we're too lazy. Now, pride will tell us. I am just as smart. That's what these false teachers in here that we're reading about in Titus were probably thinking, and that's how some of us think today. I am just as smart. What did that remind you of? Competition that happened in the garden. <laughs> okay? You or they can't tell me. You get a directed from the authority and you say you can't tell me even if you don't verbally say it but you think it okay that's insubordination I do not and I will not follow that that's unruly think about all of these sins I just brought out the origin of them was in the garden the origin was in the garden and these are the sins that we were born into when we were born into this world. They just automatically, naturally operate. You don't even have to teach those to children. That's why we have to train them. But if you don't know any better, you can't train them. Amen? So the good news is what we were born into, we don't have to stay in because we can be reborn again by the blood and the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so when we have been born again, then that means that we recognize and we surrender things that are not right unto the Lord. See, once you recognize your error, you have to have the humility to surrender unto the Lord. Why? Because then you have allowed him to continue what he's begun in you. See, when we get born again, he begins a new work in us. But he's not going to push you down, press you, and work it. It's an open invitation and when you surrender your will and your all to him and you humbled yourself, you're giving him the open invitation to complete what you said you have started in me. Amen. So by those false teachers coming in, teaching their own doctrine and, and, and lack of understanding, uh, then it opened up the door of just blatant unbelief and disobedience. And then th there was one in um, verse 11. 
that, well, well, the end of 11 and also in 12, well, the one who is about filthy gain, dishonest gain, okay, he, he, there's motives behind that kind of a teacher. They're not interested in your growth in Christ. They're only interested in how much they're going to profit. <laughs> okay? And, 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 and then in 12 with the, 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 the prophet. Now, the prophet is a different story. Uh, the prophet here is, that is mentioned is on a mission for Satan, whether he's aware or unaware. Okay? Remember. Evil is not the opposite of good. It's the crossover. It means you have crossed over into the evil. It's not the opposite. It's you, where you crossed over and went into another kingdom of darkness. God is the ruler. Satan is a counterfeit ruler. So he's not another choice that you have that you can make. He is the one that comes to want to steal the glory of Christ. And so he has you crossing over to his side with your thoughts and your actions. So the prophet, a lot of times where people are used unaware that there's a dark spirit that's using you. Okay. And then there are those who are mature and they know that they're being used because they've given over to it and they want to be used. Because the reason I say that is because if you're operating in the prophetic, you have a, operating in the prophetic office, not in the prophetic, it's a difference. Y'all do understand that. Every time you hear a prophetic word does not mean it's coming from the mouth of a prophet or a prophetess. Okay. So if you are operating in the office of, of a prophet, that gift or that office was given to you by God. It didn't come from Satan. So when you begin to use it for satanic purposes, you just crossed out from up under God's covering and went into a dark place with it. And so all that you do, you use it for gain, whether it's a personal gain or a monetary gain. That's why God tells us to try the spirits and discern what you're hearing. Don't think because a person is confessing salvation that everything that you hear come out of their mouth is in line with what God is saying. And sometimes you are being used by Satan because you may have sinned or done something that got you out of order that you have not recognized you're out of order and have not repented of it. And the more you linger and, ling and stay in that, then the more you've given over to the spirit of darkness. He tells us to be quick to confess because he's faithful and just and ready to forgive. But when you don't, for don't confess... When you take the position that God knows my heart, so you don't open your mouth to say, God, forgive me, you're in a dangerous position. He wants us to openly confess when we are out of order and have done wrong. Not only to him, but to the people you have wronged. You say, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, forgive me. And there's sometimes you have to apologize to people that you 
did not intentionally set out to offend them, but it's where their minds are and their struggle that they received it as an offense. And if they are offended, you still need to say, I'm sorry, I did not intend to do that. I'm sorry, please forgive me. You cannot let it go, well, I didn't mean to, and I didn't say that to offend them. Well, it doesn't matter. It did. So correct the wrong so there can be reconciliation to, to, uh, to go forth. Now, um, now Paul is, is, is telling Titus how to handle these unfaithful people. The <laughs> Verse 13 he says, this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply. Ah. <laughs> For those who get rebuke about something and you think, oh, she don't have the right. Read your Bible. <laughs> that they may be sound in the faith. You see, if you don't do anything about error, people think that they're right. And they will continue to flow in that. And, 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 and we say it sharply because he don't want you. Paul do not want you and he didn't want them to really embrace that wrong teaching because the more you linger in it, the more you become a part of it. And now it's almost impossible to pull you out. Amen. Faithful elders, teachers, pastors, preachers, because elder is all of that. Concern should be for the gospel of truth to go out and for the saving of souls and the growth and discipleship of believers. So sometimes you have to be, especially, especially and more than that, when you have been saying the same thing, over and over and over again, and people still continue, continue as a leader to keep doing those negligent things or not doing anything or doing the wrong thing. Now, they need a sharp rebuke to shake them up out of dead works, okay, so that they, they can hear. Because if you don't, all you're doing is allowing Satan to have, reap havoc in their lives and to have them. Because we have a tendency, well, well uh, don't say anything. Do you love the person? Because when you say, don't say anything, oh, it's going to be okay. Oh, you don't like them. The Bible tells us that when you spare the rod, that you hate the child. Because when you allow people to continue to flow in error and wrong, you're setting them up for, for destruction. Their blood is on your hand while you was trying to keep a friend. If they were such good friends, they would listen to you and realize that you have their best interests at heart. You're not trying to destroy them. The person who's trying to destroy them is the one who's secretly telling you lies to keep you from hearing the truth that's going to bring the transformation in your heart and your soul. Amen? So, we want souls to be saved, and we want those who are believers to grow and be discipled into Christ, to go deeper into Christ. You, once we're saved, that is just the beginning. You just come through the door. 
you have not arrived. <laughs> we got to be discipled into Christ. So you got to grow in the knowledge of who he is and the things that he has done. Come to know the things he has done for us and come to know who you are in him and what is expected of you to do here on this side of the kingdom. So that takes discipleship. So that means there's a lot of maturity that has to go forth. We have to grow up in the things of Christ because he's remolding your character that Satan and the world has jacked up. And he has to tear that all apart so he can fix us to be who he created us to be in the first place. And humility will allow correction to be given and then the receiver out of wisdom ponders over what was given to them to take heed to it, then no one loses. In fact, there is great gain. When you can be humble enough to receive, ponder over it with the Lord, because when you do what is right, God is going to confirm it. But when you, when you go to God, I'm not receiving that, I don't believe it, and I don't believe it came from you. That's, that's the end of it. You're never going to know. But when you say, okay, God, I'm not rejecting this. I, I'm, I, I'm going to receive it, but I need to understand. I need you to help me. You know, I, I learned that lesson in the uh, um, early stages of my uh, being born again with someone who I loved and, and thought this, this is my, my best friend who... Um, mentally, verbally attacked me, but the, Satan was using her. She didn't realize it. Over spiritual stuff. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and I was try, trying to talk to her about it, and, and she, she wasn't receiving. And God said, um, don't worry, leave it alone. She's going to come back. Okay, just pray for her. And I did. Now, let me tell you how she came back. She came back, she called me one morning, and I was just so happy to hear from her, but she called me with a rebuke. Now, <laughs> handle this. Somebody who you know have turned against you call you with a rebuke from the Lord. Most of us would say, I, don't, I ain't listening to this. The Lord ain't told you nothing. I listen. I listened, and she said, I don't understand why he is saying this to you because of all people, you are faithful. And I said, I don't know. I don't understand, but thank you. And I have to talk to you later because I was broken and I was crying. The message she gave was good and faithful servant. Faithful to whom? The reason why the Lord was sending that message was because he had been sending messages telling me the call that was on my life that I was rejecting. All that I was doing, I thought every Christian do that. <laughs> so I'm thinking it's not a big deal. Okay. So that's how our relationship reconciled. But what if I had said, don't call me with this mess. Who are you to think you can tell me or anything negative? But because of how I handle that, that relationship remains. Okay? And when I did get off the phone and I cried out to God, I said, God, I don't know what you're trying to get to me. And why would you 
come this way to tell me something if I'm wrong and I'm crying out to God. And that's when he told me, I, I, I sent so-and-so. I sent this person. I sent, and he named off titles, not, not, not people. He named off the titles of the people who came to me and gave me the word. And I, when he gave the titles, I knew exactly who the people were. All of these uh, uh, offices that I sent to you and you have rejected and have not accepted the call that is on your life. And I'm like, oh, God. And he says, I need you to begin to, to say it and not say I've been called. Say what you've been called to. And I, and I did. And so I had to start first at home and just go to my husband and, and tell him. I was so broken when I was trying to tell him I was broken and crying. He's like, well, what's wrong? What's going on? I just come to tell you I've been called. He said, well, I thought you knew that. <laughs> so, but I share that to show how we are supposed to handle things sometimes. Not think we're so high and mighty or think more highly of ourselves than we do of others. Because if I had handled her the way flesh would have said to handle it, then all of those prayers I've been praying, none effect. None effect. Amen? So, like I said, no one loses. There's great gain. Because she has a high anointing on her and coming into a truth. And the truth was she had been in church serving, loved the Lord, but she wasn't even saved. And that's why she was having difficulties believing certain things out of the Bible. But after that, she got saved. And she went back to her pastor and told him, so I don't know what she's doing uh, now in the church, but I could just imagine because when you have a conversion like that, oh, my God, you're just as radical converted as you were before. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so uh, in verse 13, it's the, uh, Paul is telling Titus, this is a true witness. So therefore rebuke them sharply that they may have sound, sound faith. Now, um, Paul urges Titus to silence and rebuke false teaching and bring them into the truth rather than letting them go. It's harder work. It's so easy to simply just remove people and get to step in than it is to work with them, cry with them, pull on them and all of that but it's worth it, okay? Because letting them go accomplishes nothing, but letting them to remain in ignorance and influence other people for, for how long? For rejecting the gospel leaves destroying results such as one's mind and conscience become defiled. And when that happens, a person's ability to discern right from wrong is corrupted. We do them an injustice. When you have loved ones who have confessed Christ as their Lord and Savior, but have disconnected from the body for offenses or any other silly, foolish thing, and you do nothing but sit and wait for when they're going to come around, 
you're doing an injustice to them because that allowed them to continue to think that the decisions that they're making are correct and they become defiled. If, and I've shared this with you know, a few people here. If my telling you the truth is going to affect whether we can remain friends, I'd rather lose you as a friend than for your soul to be lost in hell. A relative. If you don't want to accept me as your relative anymore, so be it. I know we are because you can't change that blood, but nevertheless, I can handle that. But what I cannot handle is knowing that I allow you to, to believe lies and your soul suffer and go to hell as a result of me not doing anything to bring the change. Now, I can do something, and it doesn't work, but I planted the seed. I can continue to pray for God, send somebody to water the seed, and he will definitely bring the increase. But I cannot sit around and watch you do wrong and not say anything about it and let that error continue to go on and on and on in your life and just say, well, God will let them know one day. What are you talking about? How can they hear if you don't speak? Rejecting the gospel prevents the work of the Holy Spirit who comes to reveal all truths to us. I got to read this again because I don't think y'all got this one. Rejecting the gospel prevents the work of the Holy Spirit who comes to reveal all truths to us. The, 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 the one's unpardonable sin is to reject the Holy Spirit. Everything else God will forgive us. Why? Because you are rejecting the possibility of getting truth and revelation that will set you free. So when you don't accept the work of the Holy Spirit, you are rejecting God's truth, thereby leaving you to a reprobate spirit, which means disqualified. Amen? Now, when Paul talks about the doctrines of men, they were not given of God. We have certain doctrines that are set up in certain different denominations that is uh, the doctrines of that church. And I'm not saying they're all, all evil and bad, but the point is that they did not come from God's doctrine. It comes from something that you have decided based on whatever you read in the Bible and you're going along with it, okay? But if, if it defiles the word of God, then that's a whole different ballgame, okay? Because there's certain religious cults that have been set up based on taking the Bible out of contents. And I'm not talking about that, okay? Uh, I, I, I'm just talking about something as simple as we take communion on first Sunday. Okay, things like that. But it's not going to affect your salvation. Let me put it that way. Anything a doctrine, a church, or a uh, uh, denomination is set up as a doctrine, if it's not going to affect your salvation, your growth in Christ, and you receiving the Holy Spirit and getting baptized and merged in water, fine. But if it's going to affect those things, uh-uh. You don't need to buy that. Amen? So, um, because you know that those doctrines did not come from the spirit of the living God. Salvation outside of faith in the cross. If it's not happening, it's outside of the faith of the cross, then there's something wrong with that doctrine. And as leaders, we can say a lot with our mouths, but do our walk line up with our profession? 
If your walk doesn't line up with all that you're teaching, then you need to go back and revisit some of those scriptures you've been studying. Because the Bible says that the word of God is a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. It should be cutting you as you're getting it, preparing it to give it out to cut somebody else. It, it applies to us just like it applies to the people that you're giving. And when you're studying only for the intent to, to be able to just teach and present, there's something wrong with that picture. You're supposed to be studying to gain information for you and to understand it. So when you pass it on to others, they will be convinced because they see you are convinced. And when you're praying to ask God to reveal things to you to prepare. It is not, well, God, give me something for them. Give me a word that we need to hear. That we need to be changed by. Amen. Chapter 2. <laughs> I was going to just do verses 1 through 10. So prayerfully we'll get through this. Be patient with me. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Still Paul is admonishing Titus to speak things that, that will become sound doctrine. And that has to be the Bible and the gospel of the message of the cross and the blood of Jesus. Okay? <laughs> that the aged men be sobered. Now, what I put down here is that uh, Titus is to pass on to the family then that's each part of the family of Christ and the, and the dynamics of a natural family. Sound doctrine. Because the goal for all Christians is that their conduct never undermine the truth or the attractiveness of the gospel to unbelievers. Okay? So when sound doctrine is believed and practiced, it produces effective lives and healthy churches. Okay, so now I'm going to get started. <laughs> but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober. Now, when he says aged men, it's not just elderly men and it's not elders. It's men who are supposed to be older and mature and in, in the word, in the spiritual life, not in the natural life. Okay. He says uh, that uh, a grave or reverent, temperate, which means even, consistent, sound in faith, and sound in love. What kind of love? The love of God. Walking out the love of God. In patience means being consistent. I said it last, last week, being patient does not mean you sit on your laurels and just wait to see what God is going to do. It means that you are working, striving towards whatever he have told you to do as you are patiently waiting to come and grow into the understanding of it more and more. Amen. He says, the aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, slanderers, not given to much wine, 
It's funny how he's used this all through the epistles as he's admonishing leaders how to be. So it governs the men, the women, and the young men and the young women. Okay. Um, teachers of good things that they may teach the young women to be sober. Let me see the, the, the admonish. Okay. Another word for this, and depending on your translation, that they may admonish the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, and to love their children. Now, you're thinking, well, no. There is a spiritual strategy on how to love your husbands and your children. You think because you fell in love, and because you birth out somebody you love, that you just know how to handle them. <laughs> Amen, sister. She said, mm -mm. <laughs> No, you don't. Because remember, we were born in sin. So when you come into Christ, you come into a new understanding of how to live as married people. And how to, how to be an employee, how to be any and everything. You have to come into a new understanding of that. What the world predicts is not the norm. And it's not what is expecting out of us. So you have to come into a greater understanding. Now, a spiritual woman who's living, an uh, elderly woman, an older woman, who's living that lifestyle, supposed to pass on what she has learned and experienced to the younger women so that they don't fall into some of the traps that she had fallen in because you learn by experience. That's what I was trying to tell them on Saturday when I listened to older people always pouring wisdom into me. It was a blessing that I listened and not think that they don't know what they're talking about because that helped me from doing some stupid stuff. Not everything. <laughs> and, 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 and operate like a person with some wisdom. Okay? Um, uh, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not, of, of God be not blasphemy. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, and we may not get any further than this one. I'm going to read my commentary, and then I'm just going to give you a few, a, a, a few concepts that I've always had concerning this. Okay, what my comment, commentary says, um, okay, the aged men are to be examples of godliness to the younger men. The aged women, older women, are to be in behavior uh, that's not demeaning as becoming holiness. They must thus be teachers of good things. By teaching the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, and to love their children. The older women are to teach the younger by their example. Because more is caught than taught. Okay? Discreet means modest and decent. You don't have to teach anybody, young women or men, how, how to be hoochies. That's, that, that's natural. But you do have to teach them how to be ladylike. You have to teach them social skills. 
You have to teach them how to see themselves in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, and not that there's some kind of sex object. Beauty is beyond skin deep. They need to see themselves as beautiful women of the Lord. Not this skin thing, because now the only way that I can get a male or impress him is, is with false eyelashes, false hair, lots of makeup, skin-tight clothes, and, you know, no. I'm not talking against that. You know, you do what you need to do to enhance your beauty, but don't enhance that beauty thinking that that's the only way that you can get somebody, because, first of all, a lot of this stuff got to come off at some point. And then when they see the real deal and no character, now how are you going to hold them? Let them see the character so when that stuff come off, they still love you. Because they have fallen in love with the person you are and, and, and not the outer. To be chaste, which means sexually pure. Okay? Keepers at home. Oh, oh, these are two, two of my pet peeves. Okay? That means keep your home clean and pretty and right, okay, so that a per when he, they're in that house, he feel like he's in a palace and be wanting to come home, not want to go somewhere else after they, they get off of work. But we need to teach our young women, women, mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, what sexual purity is all about, even if you didn't do it. But as a believer, you do now know what it means. So that's what you promote, not what you did. Okay. And, and, and like I said, I'm really serious about being a homemaker. Just because the man messes up, and you always have to clean up and pick up behind him, and just because uh, they don't say much, oh, they are looking. And they are also moved by how your house is. Now, what do I mean? Do you know that color, cleanliness, and order, being in order has a psychological effect on you? Now, while you putting all that false stuff on your body, you need to be doing something to some of those rooms that will entice them to want to be sensual with you and do a little flirting and like you. Okay? Because I don't care if they're n not as clean as they should, but you can change that. You can set the standard. And change all of that, okay? But even if they're not, let me tell you, they are not enticed to romance you. They're just enticed to get off. But God did not set up sex for that intent. It's supposed to be an intimate lovemaking situation. But unfortunately, with men, you got to set the atmosphere. And the atmosphere is set when you keep a lovely, beautiful home that's engaging, that's comfortable, and that makes them feel good when they get home, so good that all they want to do is sit and do nothing but soak up. <laughs>
Amen. Let me finish reading what the commentary said. It says, um, to be obedient to their own husbands. This is the part I really wanted to get to. Means being submissive to their own husbands. Now, let me tell you, the reason why Paul can put this in here, because he's talking to Christians. That means that the husband is a Christian. He's also the Christian leader, the spiritual leader in his home. Therefore, you can be submissive because he should be speaking and doing what thus says the Lord, not as the world. The Bible does not tell wives to be submissive to unspiritual, unregenerate husbands who are not following the word and they're leading you according to the course of this world. That is not the submission that he's talking about. And yet, we, I, hear, I hear it more from dysfunctional relationships. Well, the Bible said to be submissive to my husband. So you're going to go straight to hell because he's talking to somebody who sets the example. And you can follow that lead. Let me tell you, the way God created us, when men are following what Christ and following what thus says the Lord, it is so easy for women to submit to that kind of leadership. And you're supposed to submit to that leadership. But when you're being led in the wrong direction and in and, and, and an area of sin, you are not obligated to be submissive to that kind of behavior. Now you, now, you read the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And, and what I did, just because I know I'm going to have some naysayers coming to me, I, I went through a lot of other Bibles from other people. This is not just my own, you know, conclusion. But I went and did a search on this. And so I know that I'm right, but I've had this knowledge for quite some time. I didn't, it didn't just arrive. It's long before I started operating as a pastor. But I studied this. Submission means I'm submissive to my husband. He is the spiritual leader of my household. He can be the spiritual leader, and he will always be the spiritual leader of the household, regardless to what title you're wearing in the church. Do you understand that? And as a matter of fact, if you are in the church wearing a title and he's the spiritual leader, you two should be coming together and it should be a powerful relationship because of that. But people are not taking their rightful position, but they're expecting for you to succumb to some dysfunctional behavior. And God is not pleased with that kind of setup. And it does not leave a, a proper example to go from generation to generation. And that's why there's another reason why there's so much chaos in Christian families. Because we are not following the guidelines of what God is telling us to do. And when we do it his way, it's easy to love and stay in love. Regardless to the dynamics of the relationship. Amen. This is the benediction I'm going to do. Wake us up, Holy Spirit. From our religious spirit. Wake us up out of religion. 
and take hold of your spirit. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Okay. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he will grant you all according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and that you be rooted and grounded in his love and may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now we celebrate the answer and unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to our faith that worketh in us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Glory to his name. Hallelujah.